Hello, and welcome to SoundingTheLight.com, the place where you can connect to real artists, real stories, real talk. Today, we will be hearing from Pete Shagnon, host of the New Morning Show and producer for 90.7, 91.7 New Life FM out of Griffin, Georgia. My name is Tara Tucker, and I'm so glad you're visiting me today. If you are looking for good music, uplifting testimonies, or a friendly place to keep you company while you're working, driving, or just having a cup of coffee, Sounding the Light is a great place to be. So thank you again for joining me today. I hope you enjoy your stay. Let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. His name is P. Shagnon. He is a husband and father, very passionate about his work. And uh, even though he's not a musician himself, he has a good bit to do with music on a daily basis, uh, being a show host of a Christian radio station. He has many years of experience in radio broadcasting, and uh, currently he hosts and produces the New Morning Show on 90.7, 91.7 New Life FM. He also is a writer and has had several of his articles published in various magazines nationwide. During this interview, he gives us a glimpse into what it means to be a broadcaster and gives some great advice to uh, independent music artists who are looking to give their songs some radio time, as well as anyone who is interested in entering the busy, yet sometimes surprisingly lonely world of broadcasting. I was pleased to have Pete come to my Sounding the Light studio for this interview, uh, especially since he has been kind enough to feature uh, a lot of Sounding the Light episodes on his morning show on a regular basis. Uh, I will warn you, though, that through the first half of the interview, I was not aware that I had accidentally turned up the reverb on Pete's mic. (laughs) So it makes my little studio sound a lot bigger and grander than it actually is. Um, I eventually realized my mistake and fixed it. Uh, But unfortunately, reverb is one of the things that can't be taken back off you know, once it's on during the editing process. So I hope you will forgive the oversight and still enjoy this interview with Pete Shagnon, which is actually just about to start right now. So Pete Shagnon, I just want to officially welcome you to the Sounding the Light studio. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, I got I to say, it's really, it feels like, uh, like home up here. Yeah, not good. not so corporate like the uh, radio station studio. So Pete, where are you from originally? Originally born and raised in Burlington, Vermont. Um, You're far I, away from home. Far, far away from home. Been, been further. Um, closer now because thanks to modern technology such as the jet and the airport, <laughs> Skype, social media and all that stuff, it doesn't seem like you're so far away anymore. Do you get up there at all? I, I tried to in the past. I was better at it, but we don't have that much time to do do that road trip anymore. I keep saying that I, I want to bring my daughter up there because my daughters are at the age where they're starting to understand a little bit more about life and yeah. make memories and all that stuff. And just living here in Atlanta is so different than growing up in Vermont. So my, my kids know nothing about uh, growing up as a Yankee shoveling snow, stoking the <laughs> fires all winter, dirt roads. Mm-hmm. So do you have any uh, favorite growing up memory? Yeah, my, my grandfather actually played a major role in shaping my creativity um, and my, my love for good old-fashioned getting down in the dirt work 
Hmm. Um, he was a, a farmer up in Irisburg, which is about 10 minutes from the Canadian border. And he had a dairy farm up there that he inherited from his relatives going back to the 1850s, I believe. And they're on this dirt road in a small little town by the Canadian border, nestled in the middle of the Green Mountains. And uh, I remember as a kid, they had this old farmhouse, couple of, it was a dairy farm, they had a couple of barns. He was retired from dairy farming, but he'd rent the barns out to folks that wanted to keep their heifers there. <laughs> if you're familiar with dairy farming, you can't milk cows that are about a year old. So, you know, where, where do you put them until they're right. ready to be milked? They just rent out his fields and stuff like that. So I always remember there was cows there. There was, you know, the, my grandmother loved to cook. There was that whole country living, old-fashioned America that's pretty much almost non-existent so much these days. Mm -hmm. That was just a major part of my life growing up on that little dirt road uh, up there in Irisburg. And one of my all-time favorite memories growing up as a kid was, you know, like the Andy Griffith thing. You grab your fishing pole, grab the worms you <laughs> dug up the night before, and you just walk down the road to the trout hole. And you'd spend the day catching trout, bring them back, and Oh, just fry them up trout. nice and fresh in the, <laughs> in the table, in the kitchen, and, you know, sit around the table and enjoy something that you worked hard to get. So uh, when did you get into radio? Um, it was in the late 90s. I actually wanted to be an electrical engineer, so I signed up for electrical engineering in college because I was a big-time math and science nerd. <laughs> and I seemed to do really well with that. And mm -hmm. I hated public speaking and I hated public appearances <laughs> and I hated speech and I hated writing. So I was like, you know, this will be great. I crunch numbers and I'll be behind the scenes. <laughs> so I signed up for this um, electrical engineering course at a Christian college out of Pensacola. Signed up for it. That was going to be my major. I got down there the summer of 1997. I was going to work for the summer before starting school to save up some more money to pay for college. And Lo and behold, they decided that there wasn't enough interest in electrical engineering, so they oh, dropped it. No. And so I was like forced. I, I knew as a freshman, they said, you'll probably change your major once or twice before you finally figure out what you want to do. Yeah. So I was prepared for that. But when they dropped electrical engineering, I was like, okay, I'm here. So what do I want to do? So I grabbed their book and I was just flipping through it and I saw broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you could be a broadcast engineer behind the scenes, flip the switches, <laughs> maintain the towers and all that stuff, and you don't have to do the talking part of broadcast. I'll sign up for that. Little did I know that that required four years of speech, oh, writing, man. journalism, <laughs> everything to do with being in front of the mic, it, in, it included. So yeah, I just rolled with it, and then I figured out that you know it's not that bad and kind of like a duck to water kind of grew on me and got me out of my my comfort zone and stretched me a little bit, but it, it, it was there. It was just like God had to kind of nudge it out of me Interesting. And, and, and get me into some uncomfortable positions before I kind of loosened up and took to it. So I had this really big fear of talking in front of people. Hmm. I remember my first freshman year speech course, one of the assignments was to do a five minute speech. I was like, how do you talk for five <laughs> minutes? And then you got to back up because I remember I, I said I was from Vermont. And in Vermont, people just don't talk that much. Uh -huh. They might say one or two words their whole life. And, you know, they kind of just go, hmm, 
when they pass somebody on the street or something. We're just not very sociable people in Vermont. So the thought of talking for five minutes scared me to death. It's like, how do you fill five minutes? And so that, that was like this whole awkward phase. You get up there in front of the class, you make a fool out of yourself. And then you find out once people laugh at you, they're not really laughing at you. They're laughing with you. And if you can kind of get that in your mind, then that fear starts to subside and you don't feel so bad about making a fool out of yourself. Yeah. Um, but now I look at it and I'm like, I only have five minutes. <laughs> I don't know if I can get everything I want to say in there in five minutes. And, and, I, and I really, and it's funny because I, I didn't want to do, do anything that had to do with behind the mic or behind the camera or in front of the camera and in front of the mic. And I didn't want anything to do with that. Now it's become a, a passion that I, I couldn't see myself not doing that, hmm. which, is, which is crazy. So. Yeah, that's very interesting. So how many radio stations have you worked for? Uh, let's see. I started out WPCS out of Pensacola called Rejoice Broadcast Network. And interestingly enough, I started out as an engineer, a translator hmm. engineer straight out of college. So I signed a three-and-a-half-year contract with WPCS, became their translator engineer, overseeing about 60 translators. And, wow. uh, you know, you had to do everything from filing the, PC, the, the, the paperwork with the FCC to maintaining that paperwork to uh, going out to the site to doing the actual build and getting that station on the air. Um, so that was, that was fun. And you get to do a little bit of traveling. So yeah, I did that for about three and a half years from there. I kind of got the hankering to be on air. So I was really looking for my first on air job and was able to land that with uh, a radio station that's no longer in existence. They just sold this last year, but joy 102.5 out of princess Anne, Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay. And I was the midday person there and the production director there. Then I started writing for, uh, they had a little publication, a little magazine they had put out in conjunction with the um, radio station. It had a circulation of about 50,000, which was wow. pretty good for, yeah. for that neck of the woods. So I started doing a monthly column for that paper and found out that I really liked writing and folks really liked the stories I was telling in there. Eventually, one of my articles was entered into a contest <laughs> and uh, won second place in a journalism awesome. contest for um, Christian writers nationwide. Wow. And I was able to use that um, placement as a, as a launching opportunity for the next gig that I had, which was actually um, journalism, <laughs> being, being a news guy, reporter, anchor, associate editor for a news website called onenewsnow.com. Now, that's not what you went to school for. Like, did you have any classes having to do with any of that? Yeah, and that's actually a funny story because, like I said, I was never really that great at writing. Uh-huh. But I had a journalism class, and there was a teacher by the name of Miss Green. She was an old uh, AP uh, stringer from back in the day. Actually had really great connections with Elvis Presley. Hmm. And uh, I believe she was w- one of the reporters that broke the nationwide story that Elvis Presley had died. Wow. And she shared that story with us. But she, I took her journalism course. And as you know, there, there's so many different styles of writing. There's writing for ear. There's writing for the eye. And then there's news writing, which is it's every, everything that you've learned in English class, throw it out the window when it comes to news writing. Huh. The, the thing about really great news copy is if you get 
the lead sentence, the rest of it just comes. Yeah, I get that. But if you cannot write that first sentence that grabs the, the reader into the rest of the story, you're just yeah. not going to be successful. And that was me. I could not get that lead sentence down. <laughs> and I was failing the class. Oh, man. But this, this uh, teacher, Miss Green, she's, she saw something in me. And she's like, I, I want to work with you after hours to, to get that lead sentence down. So she worked with me one-on-one -on -one to instill in me how to write these lead sentences. That's awesome. And I just could not get it. And I just could not get it. I just could not get it. And then all of a sudden, one day, the light bulb just came on. And I wrote this article. And I had a really great lead sentence. And she looked at it and she's like, Pete, you got it. She's like, that's it. That's how to write. I was like, okay. Phew. So from there on, I was like turning out these news stories and the assignments and all this stuff. And I finally, it clicked about halfway through the semester. I was able to pull a D minus <laughs> up to a B plus. Wow. And, and pass the class. And she actually told me afterwards, she's like, I know you're doing broadcasting and all this stuff, but would you ever consider changing your major and just being straight journalism? Wow. And, and getting into the news? And I was like, well, I don't know if I wanted to do that. I mean, it, it, it's a pain. I mean, because even though I finally got that concept, as you know, as, as, as a songwriter and a writer yourself, I mean, ideas just do not come easy. Yeah. It's, it's an intensive labor of love and it makes your brain hurt mm -hmm. and it will make you emotionally drained. <laughs> yes. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been assigned to write an article and the stories there, just getting it from my mind to paper it's so exhausting that even though I've been sitting down and just staring at a blank piece of paper, I mean, I will be physically, so physically drained. The only thing I can do is just veg out on the couch and not think about anything. That's interesting. So I jumped from Joy 102.5 to Tupelo, Mississippi. We pack up the family and move out there. And we work for OneNewsNow.com, which is the news service of the American Family Association. Well, I was really able to hone my journalism and associate editor and web skills and all that stuff and, and really get into writing. And then there was the on-air side where I was the anchor. And then, of course, the reporter, you had to record your stories and put actualities in there. And interviews, we did, I think I did 10,000 interviews. And this is all, you know, just news items, just raw news. And there was a chance to go to New York City and to Washington, D.C. And I nice. think I went to North Georgia one time to cover stories. Um, so there was a chance to travel and get out and make connections and all that stuff. And it made a lot of great connections. Um, one of, one of my favorite stories was <laughs> I went out to New York city, not Washington, DC. I was at Washington, DC and I was at a, an event, a political event for, uh, young Republicans. And it was at a George Washington university and, um, Newt Gingrich was a speaker. Hmm. And I was kind of, I, I like to ask the tough questions and there was something going on with Newt Gingrich and all that stuff. And I had to ask a really tough question for this particular article else. And his handlers came in and kind of edged me away. So that's it. That's it. You're done. <laughs> and it was really awkward. But then I was putting all my stuff away and then I was going to catch the elevator to get back to the hotel and uh, start putting these stories together and send them off to the uh, newsroom. 
and I just happened to catch the same elevator that Newt Gingrich was on. Are you kidding? And so it was, it was Newt Gingrich and myself going down on this elevator <laughs> after this really awkward interview, just kind of looking at each other and, okay, have a nice day. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, 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 another really fun aspect was I, I was the environmental reporter at OneNewsNow.com. I was covering global warming. And uh, I was covering it more from the skeptics angle, mm-hmm. which they weren't getting a lot of press at the time. Um, so I was doing a lot of stories with uh, really well-known skeptics. Um, anything, anybody from uh, Lady Margaret Thatcher's former cabinet members mm. on down to uh, some noted scientist and the founder of the Weather Channel and all that were outspoken against uh, the, the narrative of global warming that the media was putting out. Mm-hmm. So I was offering, you know, a, a different viewpoint on that subject, and I caught the attention of the Rick and Bubba show, and they asked me to uh, come on by phone to the Rick and Bubba show one morning, and and I was on for about twenty to thirty minutes wow. talking about my work as a reporter, and I'd always been a longtime fan of the Rick and Bubba show, so I thought that was yeah. That to to me that was kind of like um, the, the icing on the cake. Yeah, that's very um, cool to, to be invited on that that particular program. Did you feel, did it kind of legitimatize who you were as a reporter? For, for, for me, it did. It kind yeah. of like, hey, I guess I must be really making a difference or something like that, you know, and I guess people are reading my articles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, that was really great. And that, that was a fun, fun memory to, to have. But from, from there, from One News Now, if you do journalism and news for so long, people understand you just get burnt out yeah. and all the bad stories that yeah. are out there. <laughs> Um, and then the schedule and the traveling will burn you out too, if you're not careful. So I, I kind of got burned out from that. And I was like, I, I need to do something a little more relaxing and uplifting than bringing people bad news every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, that's how I ended up here in Georgia at a uh, new life FM doing originally came on doing the, uh, the afternoon show and doing the production work and all that stuff. And then that kind of morphed into, I created a, a bluegrass program, which was really um, kind of a nod to my memories of growing up on my grandfather's uh, dairy farm in Vermont, um, then to hosting the uh, the morning show now, New Mornings. Uh, and your your bluegrass program, that is called Front Porch? Yeah, Front Porch Bluegrass Revival. And I've always been a closet bluegrass fan. <laughs> When I called up my boss and I said, you know, I think we could do a bluegrass show. And, and here's what I want to do with it. I want to introduce people to bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Because if you think you know what bluegrass music is and what it entails, there's so much more to that than just, you know, Andy Griffith or Old Brother or Art Thou. Right. That there's such diversity within the genre. And there's so many good people out there that a lot of folks don't really know about. So I was like, let's let's call it Front Porch Bluegrass Revival not only because it's going to be all gospel music, but let's try to start a revival of sorts, getting people back nice. to that front porch and that time when life was simpler and people actually had more face-to-face interactions than they do now. Mm. Even with all the connectedness we, we think right. we have, let's bring them back to that front porch setting. So oh, cool. That, that's been a fun program to produce. And how long have you been doing that one? Just about five years now. Okay. Uh, so since you've had, you know, kind of a long road in radio and you can look back now with all the experience that you have now behind your belt, how was it when you were first beginning? Do you have any, you know, funny stories to tell? Yeah, when we first, when I first started out, 
I was single, um, engaged, but we were going to be married about a year later. So that was a whole year that I was kind of a bachelor living in a bachelor pad Mm -hmm. with a bunch of other bachelors. That was a really interesting experience. I'm sure. (laughs) Because the the way it happened was all of us decided to work for the radio station. Oh. One of my friends became the program director. Another one was uh, an engineer. We shared the same office. And so we would literally, in, in a way, it was this station was run by the college. So for bachelors, they would provide you with an apartment, a room and, room and board. You paid a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. And you got, nice. you know, you had to buy your own food, but you had all the electricity and water and all oh, that that's stuff. Great. So it was like, it was like dorm life living. It was nice because all of a sudden you go from having homework and projects to going to work eight to five. Mm. And then you could basically <laughs> mm-hmm. unplug mm-hmm. after the day was done. He had no homework. Oh, yeah. And no projects. So what do you do with all this free time when you're just, you know, a bachelor <laughs> with a bunch rich. of guys? <laughs> and so we just used to hang out and cut up a lot. <laughs> and we used to cut up a lot at work, too. Oh, I bet. And the, the funniest, this one engineer that, I was working with we we used to probably uh, practical jokes on each other and the program director was in charge of putting the Christmas music in one year and there was this really silly song that they wanted on to play on the station it was called Percy the Puny Poinsettia really yeah if you you need to go listen to the song because it's the silliest Christmas song you've ever heard and so we we um because we were in charge of the radio station and programming it we would program that song heavily as a joke. <laughs> so it's like every time we turn on the radio, that song would be popping up. And it got to the point to where the guy I was sharing an office with hated that song so much. <laughs> I can imagine. That he would threaten bodily harm if we, we played it. So we would call him up. We'd go into an office. We'd call him up on the uh, intercom system and we'd play it over the phone as soon as he picked it up. <laughs> Just just to push his buttons. Uh-huh. You, you can't take life seriously when you're when you're <laughs> broadcasting. Would you have any advice for artists who are wanting to get their songs on the radio? The one big bit of advice that I would give artists is I know that it can be very the, the waiting game <laughs> can be very tedious at times and nerve wracking. Um, and I understand that because especially when you go in for a job interview, you're always waiting to. To know well, how did I do? Did they like it? But you got to wait two weeks before you contact them because you don't want to. Yeah. Um, there, there's some artists out there that can be a little pushy, and I would, I would, I would advise against that. I would say, hand off your, hand off your project, your song, your MP3, or whatever. Include as much inf- personal information as you can on there, as far as contacting is concerned. Um, give them space to uh, listen to it and to critique it because we, we're, we're not always able to get to it right away, um, depending on how many folks are bringing us music to listen to. So I'd say, you know, two weeks is a good good time frame. If you haven't heard anything, call back in two weeks and just kind of get a feel for us. Um, there, there are some artists that want to come in and they want the person to sit down and listen to the song and critique it right mm-hmm. there. Um, we, we don't do that, mm-hmm. not because we can't do that. We, we don't do that because it, it would just not only be awkward for us, but it'd be awkward <laughs> for the artist. If they brought in something else really bad, <laughs> you 
you know, it's like, well, yeah. we, we'd like to have time to really formulate a way to present any helpful critiques mm -hmm. on how to improve the project. Um, and if, if your project does get rejected, um, don't get angry. Uh-huh. Ask, what can I do to improve the production quality? Use it as a learning experience, I guess. Um, but those are some of the big turnoffs, not only with New Life FM, but radio stations in general, is, is, is if you're pushy and you don't take criticism very well, that's a good way to get your project put into the don't, don't call back. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know, that sounds so bad, but, you know, I, I'd, I'd really like, because that's something I've had to learn myself, mm -hmm. uh, being a broadcaster, is it's not fun to be criticized and tell that so something you poured your heart out into stunk. But that's going to happen. Right. Not everybody's going to see things the way you see them. And you just got to learn how to, how to deal with those emotions in a correct way. Mm -hmm. What about people who are looking to be, you know, the, the radio personality? What kind of advice would you have? Because it, it sounds like it's a lot more work than it probably sounds like it is. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that the biggest piece of advice I could give people is don't be afraid to volunteer at a station, even if it's just for sweeping floors or putting stamps on envelopes. Mm -hmm. um, you got to start, be willing to start out at the very bottom. You know, if you go into a radio station, and, and it's like when you're submitting music, too. If you go in and you're acting cocky about, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And that, that's a big turnoff mm -hmm. for, for a lot of folks that are hiring. But if you go in with, a, with a, a spirit of, I'm willing to start out at the very bottom. What do you need? Make coffee? Sweep the floor? Come in and clean up? Um, organize your uh, CD library? Or even just uh, sit there and I had an intern several years ago that his main job was just loading music into the, uh, the automation system. Hmm. And he'd come in and do that after school. And before you know it, um, I'd, you know, give him opportunities to record a weather forecast or something like that and learn different aspects. But I, I say, be willing to learn everything there is to do at a radio station from secretarial work to janitorial work to computer maintenance, to, uh, you know, library maintenance, mm -hmm. and uh, be willing to learn how to do everything and work your way up from the bottom. That's, the thing is, it's, it's going to burn you out, mm -hmm. but unless you stick with it for more than five years, I mean, you're really not going to see it pay off monetarily if you're in it for the money, which a lot of folks aren't in it for the money. And I'm not saying that to scare mm -hmm. people, because, right. I mean... Certainly, it is a great gig. It is, is a fun job, especially when you have a passion to do that. Um, but, but it is. You don't think about it because you really enjoy what you're doing, but it is a lot of work. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you know, being honest and uh, forthright about it because I think that's what, you know, if people are going to want to go into something like that, you kind of want to know, okay, what am I looking at? And it sounds like that's something that you, you need to be passionate about to be able to put in the work. Yeah, that's, that's the key right there. If you don't have the passion for the job, it's going to burn you out faster than you expect it will. Um, if you're going in it just for the money and because you think that you'll be rich and famous and that people will know you and you'll be uh, Mr. Popular or Mrs. Popular and all that stuff, it's a lonely business mm. to be in. Mm. <laughs> a lot of the people that are behind the mic or behind the camera, they're so consumed with, with the passion of 
doing that prep and doing such a good job of what they do is like they don't have that much time left to do anything other than come home and spend time with a family and um you know it's not like hollywood (laughs) (laughs) you don't have Mm -hmm. your uh, star on the on the sidewalk and people aren't following you around with a camera to take (laughs) pictures of you (laughs) so when you have all of this time and you you've hit the burnout and you're tired what do you do to refresh to download yeah, that's that's interesting because you really got to have yourself a hobby that's not broadcast related. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, what's what's the point if you're going to have a hobby that feels like work um, if you're trying to relax? So one of the things I like to do, and it makes for some cool stories that I can incorporate in, in work later. <laughs> so it's still part of work. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> but um, I, I, I like to hunt and fish and camp and get into the outdoors and just unplug. Oh yeah. From social media, unplug from the radio, TV, news, what have you, and just get out where you don't get any cell phone signal. <laughs> so you can't check Facebook. Um, and, and get out and hunt and fish. And that's the problem because if I'm hunting and fishing in a place where I've got 4G, I'm before you know it, I'm looking at Facebook and then yeah. I've kind of defeated the whole purpose. But I just like to get out in the sticks where your your phone just becomes a useless the most expensive clock that you've ever bought (laughs) um and get out there and hunt and you're just sitting there on the bank of a river or in your deer blind for several hours on end doing nothing but just staring out at at the creation Mm. and and using those times to really i like to use those times to kind of refresh and reflect and think and even just talk one-on-one with the Lord and mm-hmm. kind of assess where I'm at and where I'm going and dig down into some of the flaws that are kind of revealed in your nature and work those out out there in, uh, in the wilderness. It, and, and it really does refresh you so that when you're back in the studio and you're back at it, your, your brain has just been so rejuvenated with fresh ideas and a fresh way to look at things. Because you can look at your stories and your show prep and all this, and your production, and tweak it so much until it drives you nuts. And it's just so good to just forget about that and come back with a fresh brain and look at what you were doing before hmm. from a whole different perspective. Well, it, you've been taking uh, you've been taking your oldest daughter the last few times, right? Yeah, she's teaching her the ropes. She expressed a, an interest in hunting, which really surprised me because I didn't know which way she was going to go on that. <laughs> but we're big fans of Duck Dynasty. Yeah. And so we actually went to a radio event one time. We were able to meet Willie and Uncle Cy. And, nice. Um, I've had uh, Mountain Man on my program before talking about hunting. So she really enjoys the program. And that I think that really impacted her getting to meet them in person yeah. at this event. So I think that she wants to have that her own experience, Duck Dynasty experience out there in the woods. <laughs> so there's plenty of opportunity for that. Um and uh, we we certainly have had our kind of crazy Duck Dynasty experiences <laughs> out there in the woods. Like um, what's one that you can think of? Um, what, one that I'm actually turning into an article was we want wanted to go on a routine camping trip up in uh, Dillard. Oh, yeah. Beautiful At Black place. Rock Mountain State Park. And it was end of October. And the forecast was saying 60, 70 degrees during the day, 40 degrees at night. I was like... 
you know, it'd be really great unplug. We'd go up there and there'd be the fall colors and all this stuff, and we'd just have a really great time uh, camping. Little did we know that there was this massive storm. Oh, no. That was about to hit up there, and they didn't know which way it was going to go. Oh, no. And when the storm came, there was wind gusts of like 50 miles an hour. Oh, my. And we had decided to camp underneath this hickory grove. And so we had these hickory nuts raining down oh, on no. us all night long. And uh, we so thought nobody tent, got sleep. Yeah, we thought the tent was going to be blown away and all this stuff, but we stuck it out. And wow. the temperature plummeted from 70 degrees one day, the first day we get there, to about 27 degrees oh, at night. Oh, my goodness. And we got four inches of snow. What? It, it, was, it was really crazy. And we decided to stick it out and camp through all that. Wow. And uh, the Duck Dynasty part comes in where I had killed a bunch of squirrels. And so we decided, you know, when it's really cold like this, the best thing you can do is get a hot meal in your stomach. Right. So I'm out there, it's 27 degrees or whatever, and I'm trying to get this campfire started. And I got all my Dutch ovens and cast iron skillets out there, and we're cooking these squirrels and potatoes and onions and all this stuff. Which and probably so, smelled amazing. Yeah, it, it, it was really good. We're just, and Mountain Man had given me some tips on how to cook the squirrels that I was following. So <laughs> we, were, we were doing... Um, we're doing that meal, and it was really great and, and, and amazing that once you get that hot meal, squirrel and potatoes and onions in your belly <laughs> when it was that cold, um, it's amazing how much you can tolerate hmm. once you have that's, – that's the key to cold weather camping is having a hot meal <laughs> ready to go as you're trying to thaw your feet out around the fire. So, so all you folks who get stuck out in cold weather, make sure you find squirrel and fire. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the key. Squirrel, fire, potatoes, onions, you can't go wrong. Well, I think we've come to the end here. What a great time. Thanks. Thanks a lot for everything that you shared. It's yeah, really fun. I, I know you're going to have your work cut out editing. <laughs> out, but, as I tend to ramble a lot, but um, yeah, it, it was fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit about Pete's life and got uh, some good information about uh, the world of broadcasting. And if you are interested in hearing any more from Pete Shagnon, you can listen in if you are in the South Atlanta area to Pete's new morning show every weekday morning between 530 and 9 on 90.7, 91.7 New Life FM. Also, you can catch me on there as well every other Friday. We get to highlight some of the interviews from Sounding the Light. So I hope you can join us. If you would like to join us and you are not in the South Atlanta area, you can just go to the Sounding the Light homepage and where the pictures scroll through, just click on the one that says New Mornings and it will take you straight to a place where you can live stream. You can also subscribe to the Sounding the Light podcast. Just click on that red button right there and uh, you will never miss an episode. Uh, I would love to have you connect with me on Facebook at Sounding the Light. And you are more than welcome to email me with any questions or requests at uh, stlpodcast33 at gmail.com. Once again, that is stlpodcast33 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And uh, I hope to see you again here on soundingthelight.com. God bless.